and welcome back to Grit Iron Gamble, the only podcast that puts its money where its mouth is. I'm joined by one member of the collective, Donnie D.P. Peters, and this is a special episode where we will be interviewing 2016 Super Contest champion Damon Graham, a.k.a. Pops3284, a.k.a. Pops2018, a.k.a. Coffee Maker, the legend himself. He won $900,000 in 2016, and, I mean, moreover, did something that we've been trying to do for years now, DP, and that's win the goddamn Super Contest. He is a legend. Yeah, well, Damon's not carrying the dead weight that is Donnie Peters, so (laughs) he has a bit better chance to win this thing than we do, but hopefully this year, because they're going to get a ton of entries. Yeah, uh, you uh, you said there's already 900. Did I? Or so, yeah, Vegas Maddie, who Vegas Maddie, you know, you guys know as uh, well. He's Vegas underscore Maddie on Twitter. He also runs uh, the ad football contest Twitter account and does the football contest proxy service. Great guy. We used him last year. Um, we're not going to be needing to use him again this year, but we do highly recommend him. Best in the business. He tweeted out this morning, uh, I believe, that it's over 900 entries in the contest already. So uh, I know that. Uh, Talking with some people that are familiar with the guys over at the Westgate, and they know them pretty well, um, they're thinking 3,500 is kind of like that minimum threshold that they want to get to. Minimum? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's that's the the, the goal for them is 4,000. 4,000? Yeah. They don't, they don't think that it's going to be less than 3,500. Oh, my um, God. I don't know if you saw, Rich. I ran a poll and just picked a bunch of numbers. You know, it was like less than 3,000. Between three thousand and thirty-five hundred, thirty-five to four, over over four, and of all the people that voted, they thought right in the realm of three thousand to thirty-five hundred. I mean, if they break three thousand, I think that's a massive win. If they can get more than thirty-five hundred, I mean, good God! If they can break four thousand, that it's a miracle, but it's also it's just absolutely unbelievable. Just doing it totally. I mean, they don't really advertise this thing a ton, you know, outside of like the normal advertising you see in Las Vegas. They certainly don't have. Um, online hooked up to the super contest specifically Um, you know they do have a sportsbook app but you can't bet the super contest through that you have to physically go down to the casino as everyone that knows know or you have to have a proxy service uh, like maddie and his service but yeah i mean this growth has been pretty astronomical and if sports betting continues to go the way that it's going i just think this thing's going to keep going up and up and up man how many cards are so on, is Matt, on, quickly is, on the on the super contest um, like the rule sheet for 2018 at the bottom it tells you like you know these are the projected payouts based on X amount of entries that amount of entries is based on 3,500 entries and then I believe first place is like 1.8 million so they just started at 35 yeah I mean that's pretty much what they're I mean th- they're hopefully setting an expectation that they want to achieve but. You're also putting that there because you think it's very realistic. Wow, I mean that's insane. How many uh, how many cards is is Vegas Maddie gonna have? You know when they do they enter all the the, the individuals they're proxying for. How- <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I don't I don't envy his position. He's probably gonna have to hire a few more members of his team to to put all those uh put all those entries in. I mean, I've seen them there in the morning, Saturday morning, Friday night with shoeboxes full of cards. So. We'll see. I'm sure we can talk to him and figure out how many he's doing, but it's always a ton every single year, and I can only imagine it's going to be even more this year. We will hopefully, we're working on getting the man himself, Jay Cornegay, on the podcast as well to talk about the growth of the Super Contest and maybe 
where it is going to go into the future. So keep your eyes and ears peeled for that one. Real quick, before we get to the interview uh, with Mr. Graham, we have to talk about Hard Knocks real quick. Episode one was a complete train wreck. Everything that we thought we thought about the Browns organization seems to be coming to fruition. DP, can, can you believe that these individuals have been put in power of a multi-billion dollar organization? I mean, yes, I can because I understand the world, but I mean, no, on it, like the four of us, you, Brett, Mo, and I could run a football team better than that operation is run over there. I'm, I'm sure of it. Like, there's no way one of us can't be Dorsey. One of us can definitely, your, your dog could be fucking Hugh Jackson as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it's like, it's unbelievable how that thing is run over there. They took the stripes off the helmet. Yeah. I mean. They treated it like a high school team. You have to earn the stripe on the helmet. I mean, come on. These are grown men, professional athletes. They don't need that type of motivation. You have to earn the stripes on the bonus. But, Baker Mayfield, can you come up here and tell us how much millions of dollars we just gave you for your signing bonus? Oh, yeah. The the hell with the stripes. We want net, too. That was my favorite. Or, no, we want gross. And he's trying to give him net. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's... uh, very excited for tonight. We're recording this on a Tuesday. Jarvis Landry gets in front of the wide receivers uh, as if he's been there for 10 years and just links into them. He's been there for like 10 years. That seconds. was the dumbest thing I think I've ever seen. That was, And all all I've seen in this past week is is media outlets and coverage writing and either posting the video of, of Jarvis and like saying how this is amazing and like this is the moment that this, this is what football means. And I'm like, this dude has been there for seven minutes. It's like, <laughs> And he's getting up there and telling these other guys what to do. I, I feel like the, the other guys would be like, "Bro, sit the fuck down, man. We're gonna go. Guy? We're gonna go two and fourteen. Yeah. We're gonna collect our five million, and we're gonna be on the fucking golf course in January. So you just sit your ass down." By the way, and when you play word association, are we are we saying the word winner after Jarvis Landry? Like, what kind of winning did Juice do in Miami? They made a couple of playoff appearances, maybe, and got demolished against Kansas yeah, I mean, City. I mean, like, if if Jarvis has anything, he he does bring it every single play. I mean, I can't stand the guy because you know former AFC East opponent that sort of thing. I mean, he but he he brings it every single play. Sometimes too much and it's not needed. Yeah, he's he's you know he's like the the guy playing pro ball in the rec league at the YMCA. <laughs> but I mean, he does bring it. But there's a time and a place. I mean, I don't think that that speech that he gave is not needed but it needed to come in like week six yeah you know after he's kind of there maybe that team because they do have some talent i mean i know a lot of people are getting uh excited about them going into the season so maybe they get off to like a two and four start maybe they start two and one and then they they lose three in the row and then that's when he comes in with that speech but not like straight out the gate seven minutes into preseason like hey guys i'm the new guy oh by the way let me tell you how champions do things like (laughs) No man, like what I, you know, what if if uh if Jamie Collins got up there, that's one thing. Coming from like the New England organization, having won championships, that sort of thing, it's a little bit different. But this guy came from the Dolphins, man. It's like the Browns of Florida. It's nuts when Todd Haley is the only person with a pulse in the building, and I can't wait to watch Todd Haley continue to want to punch his own face off in this organization. I, I honestly thought he was going to leap across the table and go after Hugh Jackson in that meeting. And then, of course, there this week there was, uh, from the beat reporters at Brown's camp, 
there was an issue where one of the defense, uh, the defenders hit Baker Mayfield, and Todd Haley said something to the effect of, good teams don't hit the quarterback in practice. And Greg Williams, who is a saint uh, <laughs> in many ways, uh, yelled back, we'll block for him then. And I just, <laughs> I want to see Todd Haley go on a rampage. That's really all I want to see. Dude. I want to see Todd Haley and Greg Williams fight. Yes, I mean, that, that, that could be like AA plus television. Greg Williams is the walking embodiment of there's nothing, no such thing as a fair fight. Like, uh, Greg Williams has to be the dirtiest fighter of all time. He's going Didn't Greg sh- Williams say that he turned down a bunch of jobs <laughs> to take this Browns job? Seven jobs. <laughs> One of them's one of them was. There's little. There's literally no other job that is worse than the one he took. One of them was the Vaughns in Rancho Cucamonga. That was one of the seven jobs he he passed up for those. I mean, it's just I, I love Hard Knocks is so exceptionally done. It's so great, and, and I felt like they left a lot out of that first episode. Like uh, we didn't get any Josh Gordon. You know that that still hasn't come. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Duke Johnson. I want to see some Duke in there. Just you know, a lot of those older guys you haven't seen. And then there was that whole thing about what's his name getting traded or yeah, uh, yeah to the Bills. Yeah, that's this week. So. Corey Coleman's this week. They should yeah. preview him throwing a little uh, piss party in uh, in Hugh Jackson's office. And then today you saw you saw on Twitter you put in our chatter or Brett did of Jarvis Landry's getting in a fight. Not that this will make tonight's episode, but it'll probably make the future one. Yeah. So we're uh, we're looking forward to that on HBO. But without further ado, let's get to our interview with Mister. Damon Graham. Be on the lookout for another podcast this week where we look at some of the wide receivers heading into the fantasy season. Uh, and be sure to check out our quarterbacks and tight ends episode in addition to our futures episode, which are on our feed. Subscribe, rate, review. That all helps. Your love powers the machine. But for now, let's get to the interview with Pops. And as we promised, we are now joined by the 2016 Super Contest champion a gentleman who walked away with nine hundred thousand dollars u.s straight cash he is pops 2008 aka pops what is it two three two eight four aka the coffee maker it's damon graham damon what's up man thanks for joining us thank you for having me man thank you the the first question i have to ask uh now that the salutations are out of the way is what is it like all of us enter this contest so that we can win and in 2016 you were the winner you were the last man standing take us through that last day that week 17 when you were finally the winner what was that like what was that day like for you i mean the day kind of started because i i just was you know i was tied for like fifth place and i was just had two entries i could tie for fifth place and i was kind of you know just was, i kind of was relaxed like i kind of split the two entries to to that Either way, I will make a little bit of good money. So I was kind of relaxed. I went to, to watch the, the early games where I had all my picks on. And I saw that before I went to work, all my games, went, the games, one of my entries went 5-0. and So I was really excited. I was happy. I was in the first place until first place is going into the, the evening games. But I went to work. And I was just kind of just at work. I was able, because it was so busy. It was a you know, New Year's Day, New Year's that, that week. It's so busy that I could, I could take my mind off. And I was kind of thinking, just kind of working. And then I kind of went on my lunch break and saw that, you know, Dave Tooley had, you know, contacted me, DM me, told me that you know, unofficially that I had won. So I was just kind of like on my lunch break, just kind of going crazy. I mean, trying to be excited, but not too excited because I didn't want people to know. But I was just kind of like almost 
out of body experience. Like I was just like, oh my god, I can't believe this. <laughs> so, I won, uh, and you know, I had to I call my brother to tell him, you know, I, that I won and all that stuff. And uh, then I kind of just relaxed myself and went back to work. So at the end of my shift at like nine o'clock. <laughs> so Dave Tolley of, of ESPN Chalk uh, is who Damon's referencing there. So. My man, we can't take a sick day. Like we're playing for nine hundred thousand dollars, and we can't get sick. No, I, I didn't. I didn't want to do that because if I did that, I would have been like too emotional with every game. So it took the mind off. Like the work actually took the mind off the game. Like it was like okay, you know, instead of you know watching the game and being stressed and looking at the scores and all that stuff, it was like let me just it's like going to work. Actually, took my mind off of everything. Like gave me that that calm of like, all right, if, you know, I'm just gonna relax. And not really doing anything, but I took a sick day the next day because I was just too excited not to go to work or anything. But you know, I had to kind of relax and just that the work actually gave me a distraction to stay away from the from away from everything. Do you try to avoid the games normally? Or are you doing this throughout the season? Because that's what uh, the, the the gentleman who got second as well, Mark Jorstad said as well is it just too much stress are you living and dying with every play so that you can't watch when you're uh, putting these picks in it wasn't like the stress it was just you know i didn't want to um i don't know stress but it's, it's like when i i just didn't want the i don't want to watch the game live i, I felt better of watching on game pass and looking at the plays kind of objectively rather than emotionally in, in game in real time so that you know when I watch the games in Game Pass later on, like a week that week, I can watch objectively and see what's going on with the, you know, with the, with in terms of betting and stuff like that. Instead of just if I watch games in real time, I'm emotional and I say this team sucks, that team sucks, they screw me, <laughs> and it will affect my next week betting. Instead of just being objective, like it will affect me like, oh, they screwed me, so I'm not gonna take them next week. That's really good. I Instead definitely. Of saying, okay, maybe. Sorry to cut you off, but I definitely. Maybe like you know, and, and I can. No, I, no, go go right ahead. I I can. I think if anybody, we've always talked about our Skype chat uh, on the pod. I definitely approach the games on Sunday with a very strong bias, and I think that definitely hurts my analysis. Do you think, uh, does that hurt yours, DP? Do you, uh, because we watch these games with rose-tinted glasses sometimes, do you think that kind of hurts us uh, in the long run? Me? Bias? No. <laughs> no no way. Never. Uh, I mean, I mean, yeah, obviously, you know, because we're, the four of us on the podcast, at least, that do it every week, we're just so emotional. We, you know, there's that emotion. There's two sides of emotion, right? There's the emotion that you draw from the teams themselves and who pisses you off and who makes you happy and all that sort of stuff that happens in between. But then there's the emotion of the one-on-one emotion between, like, you and I, Rich, or between Mo and I, or between Brett and I, or between you and Brett. And, you know, that that sort of friendly emotion, like, oh, I got to prove him wrong because we just argued on you know, on the podcast this week. And then if something doesn't work out, you take that animosity and you think about it in the back of your mind. And then the next week you're like, Oh, I got to do better than Mo. Or I got to do better than this guy because he got me last week, like that sort of stuff. So yeah, there's a whole bunch of emotion that goes into it, but it's, I think in order to win, you got to be totally, you know, unemotional. You can't, you can't let it get to you. So d- despite trying to stay balanced during that season, Damon, was there a team that you found yourself really liking that you rode a couple of weeks or that you just really felt continued to be undervalued? Did, was there a team or a set of teams that you really liked throughout that season? I'm trying to remember. I uh, think I rode, I kind of faded the Jets a little bit, and I kind of rode the, the 
the packs a little bit. They were just kind of covering. Um, it was who else was a was a writer? I can't. I think it was the Eagles. The Eagles. I wrote a little bit. Um, I can't even remember. I can't remember, but you know, I, uh, I think it was like I was just fading more, fading certain teams than sure. riding them. Yeah, that works too. It was either like a fade. Yeah, it was either fade certain teams than like the Jets and all that stuff. And I think I rode the Cowboys that year too. I think I rode the Cowboys a lot that year. That was a big one. Yeah, that was. Uh... I, I remember that. I rode. I make that day was, was the middle of the season. They were so undervalued at the beginning of the season because the Dak and Tony Romo got hurt, and Dak was just starting. And like I kind of. Able to ride them a long way, even though my Giants are, I hate the Cowboys. <laughs> that's that detachment. That, that's that detachment you have. You have to have in the contest. It's like I was able to roll roll the Cowboys for like the first six seven weeks of the season because they were so undervalued. Because one, they played a tough schedule. They played like Pittsburgh and the Giants and all these like really good kind of name teams. And two, Tony Romo was hurt. So it was Dak. So Dak had it. They undervalued the kind of the Dak factor at that time. So. I was really able to ride the Dallas Cowboys a lot. What got you into sports betting? As you mentioned in the story with Dave Tooley, you moved to Las Vegas from Maryland in 2018, but I'm sure that sports betting wasn't something that you just adopted once you got to Las Vegas. What is? We all have our stories of, of the first bet we placed or the first time we were introduced to this, this crazy thing that is sports betting, but what is your story? What, do you remember the first bet you placed or how you got introduced to it? When did you start uh, sports betting in general? It wasn't the spread, but you know, uh, you, when you do Super Bowl pools, you have those little boxes of where course. you have like the seven and the three. Yeah, and you never, and you, you never want the, the little, deuce, deuce, or anything like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, those things, like those things, and like um, little barbershop pools where you pick the winners and whoever gets the most winners wins. Those I was kind of introduced to it in, in that way at first. And then, you know, the online sports books came about, like, in the, the 2000s and stuff like that, and you, you saw the betting. So it was like, you know, while I was in college, like, you know, 2000, 2000, about 2002 to 2006, I started seeing the kind of the online betting, the sportsbook.com, the stuff like that. And I just, that's when I got to the betting aspect of this point spreads and stuff like that, and point spreads and over-unders and things like that. And of course, you were in college at the perfect so, uh, time for the poker boom as well, which you which you noted talking about Chris Moneymaker. Uh, were you playing online poker at the same time? Uh, yeah, I was playing a little online. Although I would go to up to because I was going to school in Philly, so we would go up to Atlantic City and play a little bit. We'll go, you know, things like that. Go up to Delaware and play. So, you know, um, it was it was like online poker, but I didn't. I wasn't like I didn't feel like comfortable betting money yet. So I kind of played the kind of the, the, the simulation games with the fake money. And that was that was kind of what I would do. So it was like, and I finally felt kind of betting a little bit of money, like 100 bucks, see if I can ride that and double that or something and turn out some pizza money or something. Right. And and that, that was, you know, little things, like you, you, like you get your skills by, you know, not betting too much, but you kind of learn to think critically about games, you learn to think about games in a point spread way, without losing too much money or betting too much money. And then, again, like I said, in 2008, you make this big move across the country. It's not easy. All, all three of us on this podcast, Donnie and I, myself, have moved East Coast to West Coast. Uh, what was the impetus for that? Why did you move all the way to Las Vegas? Uh, part of the poker boom, part of it, I kind of wanted to see what the West Coast is about. I wanted to see, you know, what it was like. Uh, and, 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 you know, um, I've been to the East Coast my whole life with the college of the East Coast. So I wanted to see what it was like, you know, you see you know, the weather and all that stuff and you in the snow and you want to see what it's like beyond the West Coast. And 
Vegas was the cheapest West Coast city with the most entertainment. Like San Diego, LA, those are expensive. Phoenix, it's you know, it's way higher than Vegas, which is kind of shocking. But you know, it's uh, this is one the one that has like the most entertainment and the most kind of also kind of least expensive at the time. Because when I moved out here, it was right. Unfortunately, it was right when the uh, in the middle of the uh, crisis and the recession and all that stuff. So I had to like, you know, it was tough finding jobs and you had, I had to find like a little, like two part-time jobs to make a full-time income. But, you know, I had to, you kind of have to kind of grind it out and stuff like that. So it was kind of, kind of different when I moved out here. Cause I moved out here right when the recession happened and it was kind of tough at first. Yeah. There was a, there was like a big squatter problem in, in Vegas as well. And I know friends that had a, I mean, just properties that are totally abandoned. We, we always joked on the poker news podcast that there was this giant building outside of the Rio uh, that was owned by Martin Harris construction, which is equally funny because our good friend poker writer and all around awesome guy, gridiron gamble fan as well. Martin Harris, AKA Seamus. uh, That's his name. And this building was just a shell and it just, was there as a ghost building for what it's almost like it was almost like a decade before the Wyndham finally purchased it and and yep. uh, and and finished it off there by the Rio DP. You weren't too far after, were you? 2010, 2011, when you, when you made the the big move to Vegas, November two thousand nine. Oh wow! So not too far after at all. No, not too far after at all. I mean, I spent seven, eight years there, something like that. Absolutely loved it there. Cannot wait to get back. Uh, hoping I'm able to get back sometime before the end of this year, if not before football season. We'll see how it goes, but Vegas will always have my heart. That's for sure. I don't get it, guys. I don't. I, I like making my Vegas trips. You know, I like going in the summer. I like playing a few poker tournaments, but I don't. I can't do the desert, guys. So you got you got to spend a week like outside of the Strip in the more normal areas of Vegas. I'm, they do have those there. I know. I'm. I, exactly. I, I'm a. I'm a GVR guy. You know, I'm an off Strip guy. But Damon, can you sell sell me on? Give me the elevator pitch. Try to sell me on Las Vegas right now. You got a shot. I mean, the thing is, is there's so many places it's expanded, and there's so many places outside of Vegas, outside of the Strip. Like you like Henderson, Summerlin. There's so many nice little neighborhoods out here. Have little malls. Have little. It's, no, it's like people think Vegas like the Strip. No, it's like the Strip is just one piece of Vegas, and the other piece is like all this interesting stuff to do. Almost every every weekend, there's always something interesting going on that's off the strip, and there's entertainment, there's, there's little things, there's always something going on here. That's what I like about Vegas, there's always something. Some right. festival, some food festival, something that's way off the strip that people just forget because they're so focused on like the Vegas trip and everything. All right, I think I think I'm a little closer. I, I need a I need a little more pushing. Uh, but so, well, after California burns down, yeah. I mean, you're gonna have to go somewhere. So. Yeah, that's right. I'm gonna have to find some place to live. I, I'm I'm so ready. Every I feel like every day I make sure I have a full tank of gas, in 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 case the apocalypse hits and I need to jet for the border <laughs> or something. Uh, so we're almost a year and a half away from from your big win. And what's what's life for for Damon Graham been since that 900k win uh, in uh, in January? I mean, it's been, it was pretty relaxed. It's been pretty relaxed, man. It's like, I've been able to kind of just have that free time a little bit, you know, um, go home, go back to Maryland, see some family more often and stuff like that. Wasn't, and um, just kind of been pretty relaxed, just trying to, you know, learning about how to handle money is just as important to getting the money, you know, making the money. You got to learn how to handle it, learn how to invest it, 
know how not to spend too much of it and be crazy about it. So that, that's that's pretty much what my time and, and my energy has been kind of focused to. I know you want to be responsible, but was there one thing that, that you purchased uh, that you allowed yourself to be a little bit selfish on when you got the win? Um, but, I mean, I got, you know, nice big TV, furniture, stuff like that. Um, I really, you know, more, more often it was like experiences, just going to different places, eating different places, stuff like that. It wasn't, I didn't want to have that big gaudy purchase yet. But could be, but you know, it was like um, because the first year I was, it was so weird. I was so cautious about the money. It was like it was like almost like it was so precious to me. And like, but it was like I didn't want to kind of just like blow blow it. Sure. But um, it was just it's kind of been kind of just uh mostly just been like in, in doing investments and learning how to do investments and just you know not really have no big gaudy purchases. Just you know simple purchases that make my life a little easier. Like. Or having somebody come clean up your apartment or stuff like that, or stuff like that. None of that big garlic purchase and stuff like that. Just the, the small things to make your life a little easier. I mean, that's about as smart as it gets. I can't, I can't blame you for that. Like, obviously, uh, the, for the story, it'd be great if you went and bought out, bought a Bugatti or something. But like, there, there's nothing, yes, there's, <laughs> there's, there's, there's nothing smarter than than what you're doing. So you you should be you should be proud of the way you're handling. I like I like how you said you wanted to to protect it. That's not often what, what people do when they go out and they make that big score. Yeah, I heard so many stories about guys who win poker tournaments and they just blow it and they blow it on the strippers and they blow it on the stuff. So I was like, no, I, can't. I don't want to be like that. And Strippers and blow, fam. So it was like a kind of... <laughs> well, the poker world is notorious for, the, <laughs> yeah. for that. I mean, I mean, Damon, you sound like a, a very grounded guy. You know, you talked about moving out to Vegas and you were working two different jobs at one time to try and make, you know, make up for that, not having one big full-time job. But you started the Super Contest just having one entry and then you jumped it up to two. What was that like? And did you have to kind of psychologically get over the fact that, okay, I might not be making a ton of money, but I'm going to sp- splurge and take a shot on two entries, which then turned out to be very fruitful because that's the year you ended up going out to win. Uh, what it was uh, to get the two entries, I just kind of saved my tips because I knew like the year when the year before ended, I knew I could do two entries because it's like I'm putting too much pressure to be perfect on one entry. I'm putting too much pressure on myself on these games. I'm double, I'm second guessing myself too much. So, like when you have two entries, you can kind of you know if you have two really good games you feel great about, you can put those same ones on the on the on the, on the games, but you can also kind of say, okay, what's my sixth and seventh? Between the fourth and fifth game and the sixth and seventh game, I could put the fourth and the sixth game on one entry and the fifth and seventh game on another entry, or put the fourth and fifth game on one entry and put the sixth. And, you know, I could kind of match it, match it up, and mix it up a little bit. So I didn't want to put too much pressure on one entry. I just wanted to kind of have that freedom and have that, um, like that 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 idea of like, okay, if there's a game, if there's a fifth or a sixth or a seventh game that I really like, but I can't make a decision between those those games. I can kind of split them up in those to those two entries. And twenty sixteen was really the year of the multi entry because you and Jank Nation uh, both had multiple entries there at the top towards the end. Of course, Jank Nation uh, fizzled off a little bit towards the end. But uh, I mean, the epic story is on week seventeen. You had one card where you put the five games that you really liked, and on the other card you put. Uh, the opposites as a hedge to, as you, you noted in your interview with Tully, we're working with like thousand dollar pay jumps or hundred thousand dollar pay jumps, excuse me. 
Uh, and of course, uh, as the audience may or may not know, the card that you used to the hedge was the one that won. Did you did you find any humor yeah. in the fact that that was the uh, basically the winning card? Yeah, I mean it was crazy because um, you know your ego, you want to pick the games right. So you get, like at first when I like the first half, I was looking at the scores. I was looking at the game, but I was looking at the scores. It was like I was kind of mad. Like man, I'm I'm off. It's like why am I so off today? What's going on? Like your ego is kicking your butt because you want to you had, like you want to act like you know you want to know what you're doing. You want to be a bum, but uh. Then when the games were over, and I really, I kind of realized, oh, I went five and zero with another ticket. I was just like, oh my god! But thank God I had a, thank God I had a, a bad week. But you know, it was just it, it, that's when I became more excited because I was kind of like the first half. I was kind of mad because the first half of those games I was mad because uh, I was like, man, I picked these games wrong today. I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> you know, your ego's kind of kicking your butt, not not thinking critically. Then when you realize what's happening, it's like, oh wow, wow! And then you realize like. Uh, like maybe you you jumped a few spots and you made a couple hundred more thousand dollars. I didn't think I didn't think, of, think about winning, but I just thought like, hey, I, I jumped a few spots up, and I'm, I'm gonna make a few more few, few more bucks. And as, you know, because I thought somebody else would go like four and one, five and zero, oh, and then somebody who was ahead of me go would go have a good week and win it. So I was like, okay, I'm just gonna enjoy it because I think the person who was ahead of me was like two two points ahead of me once the last week. So I was I didn't think I was gonna have that you know. Super strong. We got to go, okay, I might go three and two in one entry, two and three in one entry, and it's kind of split the money, have two entries make decent money. But when it went 5 and 0, I was excited and I didn't, I didn't look at the stands or anything. I was just like, okay, I might make like, you know, I might finish the second place and make 300 grand, be, be real happy with that. So, and then, you know, once every all the games and I got the call that I won, I was just like, wow, was just, you know, it's like I said, out of body experience. So, <laughs> The the week that you may have been at your worst, uh, it ended up being at your best. I just I just think that's awesome. Uh, exactly. So you talked about uh, during that season you might have faded some teams. So let's uh, for the people that are listening that maybe maybe they don't do the super contest and they're, they're not uh, they don't uh, they're not fortunate enough to put an entry in like we are. Or maybe they're just too far away and, and can't afford the proxy or don't want to go through the headache. But they've got their their betting pools and they're they're doing as you said. Uh, maybe some barbershop pools or some some casual betting. Let's let's try to give them uh, some tips if we can. Are there any tenants that you kind of stick by? Uh, are you a fan of of home dogs? Do you like teams coming off of big losses or fading teams that just had big victories? Are there any main tenants that maybe you could uh, share for the folks that are listening? I kind of look. One thing I kind of look for is like undervalued teams who are good at home. You know, there's sometimes there's undervalued teams that are really good on the, at home, but they're not great teams. Like last year, the Bears were kind of good at home against the spread, but they weren't. You know, they, they sucked, but they were good at. But they always kind of kept it close at home. Yeah, we had we had, spread, we, had so. we had we had the Bears at home on our card re- relentlessly during the season last year. Yeah, like you look for things like that. You look for uh, just undervalued teams a lot. You look for the teams that are a little undervalued that Vegas is a little bit behind on. Like last year, the year I won, it was the Cowboys because. Tony Romo got hurt and he wasn't back, and everybody thought that was kind of the end of this season. But you know, like you look for those teams that are undervalued a little bit, because you know sometimes, sometimes those teams are the ones that get off to those fast starts, and then you then then you have to know that each each point of the season is its own kind of different animal. Like the first quarter of the season is one animal, and then the the point spreads change and people catch up, and that next point of the season is that you might have the injuries. 
you might have, you know, things going on. You might have different, you know, and that part of the season is a different animal. You can't just say, okay, this team is good with these three, three, three weeks. I got to stay for the rest of the season. Those times, you know, things change up and, and you have to kind of just kind of adapt as the season goes on. Like what's in week four is not the same as week nine. What's in week nine is not, it's not the same as week 13 or what's in week 13 is not the same as week 17. So you have to kind of adapt and kind of, kind of adapt to the, the season at hand. You kind of have to change it up a little bit. In a competition like the Super Contest, are you someone who puts a lot of stock in trying to think about what the other contestants are trying to do, or are you just going to stay the course, play your game, make your own picks, and then you know let the rest fall as it may? I think you have to let the rest fall as it may unless you somehow have this like big lead or you're, 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 you know, you're hot, super hot going away week 17 and week 16. But I think the first, I would say the first 15 weeks, week first 15, 16 weeks, you have to just, pick the games. You have to just pick the winners. You, you can't really focus on the scores or anything. You just have to say, but now you, you see, I think you, you understand the history of the contest. You see what's won and you have to understand like maybe, you know, you can afford maybe one loss a week average or like one and a half loss a week average to really kind of make some good money. And you have to understand that every week you just have to grind out those. You can't really have any bad weeks. You can have like that one in three weeks back to back because it's going to kind of eliminate you. So you kind of have to kind of have that, that grind out those three and twos, sometimes that three, one and one, that four and one, you got to grind out good weeks every week. You just got to focus on the week at hand. And you got to hope that that sum adds up to, you know, the total be a victory at overall, but you got to have that kind of, all right, when three, one and one is week, good. Number three, one and one week, you just have to kind of focus on every week as its own animal and every part of season as its own animal. You can't really look at the scores. You got to understand, like, you know, uh, I, I would say don't look at the scores until the last, maybe the last week of the season or the last two weeks of the season. Then you can look at the scores and see which maybe you need to do the last two weeks to, to actually make some money or do well. And that that's what I would do. I would just say, you know, the first 14, 15 weeks, just grind out good weeks, and they all will add up. That's such a good point. I always try to uh, make the analogy of boxing and those three and two weeks, those three one and ones, those are just body blows. You know, you're just you're making contact, you're you're landing some punches, and then hopefully, in order to make a deep run, you got to have those four and ones and five and O's mixed in, and that's when you really step in and you know you throw your uppercut and you hope you land it. But without those body blows, exactly. without those constant three and twos, like you said, if you if you get if you get touched up one round, if you drop a one and four. Or an 0 and 5, it's it's really hard to recover in the contest for sure. That's really well played. Exactly, yeah. So I want to talk. You said you're a Giants fan. I did not know that. So I have to ask you the question. Uh, second pick in the draft, Saquon Barkley is the selection. You pass Sam Darnold. What what are your thoughts on that as a Giants fan? Um, I mean, I I I would say I had a problem. I I, I didn't have a problem with it, but I wish they would have taken a quarterback like early in round two or something or early you know, they trade up to get a quarterback. But I, I think they've hold on, held on to Eli Manning too long. I think it's like they should have drafted a quarterback, not maybe this year, but they should have drafted a quarterback years ago, like two, two, three years ago to develop it, have him ready by now. But I, I think that they've been kind of a little bit too loyal to Eli, but we'll see what he – because sometimes he's better when he has all these weapons around him, and the, the sum is better than his than him. Like when the sum of his parts is better around him, he'll have a better season. So 
We'll see. But I, I, I kind of wish they, they had drafted a quarterback early. Maybe not a second pick, or maybe they wanted Sam Darnold, but or maybe they you know traded up one of those picks to get um, Lamar Jackson or something. But I wish they had traded a quarterback, draft quarterback that maybe that they could develop for the next you know two or three years or next two years while Eli kind of plays out his career. I don't think we have any. I, I watched a preseason game the other night, and I don't think we have anybody that's even decent to back up Eli. So if he no he hasn't gone down ever in the season, but you never know if something happens then. They kind of stuck again with another two and fourteen season because no, there's nothing around him. There's nothing behind him in quarterback position. So, um, you know, I, I like Saquon. I'm, I'm excited about Saquon, and I'm excited about you know his, his skill set and all that stuff. But I hope Eli has like one more, year, one more, two more good years in him because if not, we're kind of kind of stuck. It's pretty brutal that Davis Webb didn't get a look last year. I, I, I'm as anybody who listened to this podcast knows, I'm a Geno truther, uh, but I didn't think it made much sense to stick Geno in there last year when you got this third rounder that you kind of need to evaluate. And I, I, I don't know if Davis Webb is good. I'm not going to come on here and stand for Davis Webb because uh, I don't think he's excellent. But uh, you know, they could have should have just given him a look, right? You got to see what you got out of the uh, the third rounder from Texas Tech there. I just think the, the the leadership last year didn't know what they were doing. The GM and the coaches, they were just over and over heads last year. They just didn't know what what they were doing. What, what They didn't handle the Eli benching well. They didn't really just, you know, they didn't have, they didn't have any leadership from the coaching and GM position last year. So that, that kind of planning that should have been common sense wasn't common sense. Like that common sense of, Okay, if you're going to bench Eli, just play Davis with the last three games of the season and, and let him let you see what you have him and see if you need to get a quarterback or not. If not, you if you don't need to get a quarterback and he's good, then you know let him develop and let him be around behind Eli for the next year or whatever. But I, I just I didn't I don't they just didn't have the leadership to have that type of planning and common sense last year in their coaching GM position. Well, I, for one, am happy that you let Sam Darnold slip to Florham Park and DP. Look out. <laughs> look out. Brady season's over, fam. It's a wrap. Hope it was fun. Well, Brady, Brady season is over. I, I will tell you that. But Sam Darnold, I don't know, man. It's going to be hard to hold on to the football in the NFL. <laughs> for sure. All right. So let, let's uh, – do you have any – other thoughts on 2018 going into the season? Are there any teams that you think will start the season undervalued? Anything that uh, I know you're grinding Game Pass. Uh, anything that you're you're looking forward to maybe taking advantage of in Week One in terms of some of these undervalued teams? I said, um, uh, you know, some of the teams that might be undervalued. I think, I think, I think teams like uh, the thing is you don't know what the quarterback who's going to start a quarterback like. Um, I think the Cardinals might be undervalued because if they start saying, I mean, especially if they start Sam Bradford, I, I think the Cardinals might be undervalued because I think a healthy Sam Bradford is a really good quarterback and a really quality quarterback. I think um, I have no clue the Jets are starting. I want them to see them even start Bridgewater or um, Donald, but they might they might end up starting McCown again. But if they start Bridgewater or Donald, I think that. They may be a little undervalued. They may be a, a, a nice little team. And I want to see what, uh, you know, coaching changes too. Like Mike Malarkey, the, the Mike Vrabel, you look at the coaching changes, the, the Colts coaching changes, you know, that upgrade sometimes isn't as realized as people think it is. It's like 
sometimes those those coaching upgrades really energize the team really early more than people think. Especially with how bad the coaching was in Indy and Tennessee, the two teams you brought up there. We we joke all the time about malarkey, and, and uh, Donnie says he has M&Ms for brains. And it's one of those things where uh, – so Marcus Mariota, the jury's still out and whether he's good or not, but we know Andrew Luck is an elite talent, and he's just been bogged down by bad coaching. And to your point, if somebody can go in there and be just somewhat competent, the Colts could be a team that are really undervalued to start the season, and then our team, by the middle of the year, we're talking about being a serious contender. That's a, that's a good point. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of how I feel about it. Like, like, I was looking at some of the over-unders to, to you know, in the in the season, I thought like I felt like everybody in the AC South was gonna be better. Like the Texans gonna be better, the the Colts and the Titans. So I looked at the Jags to kind of fall back this year because I thought you know that was they they maxed out on the kind of weakness of their defense, and I don't think Blake Burrow's gonna get any better. So I don't, if I, like I think that they're gonna take a step back while those other teams come take a step forward. So you know I was looking at things like that and. And I was looking at teams who had who who kind of like the Browns teams that have talent, but you know uh, that quarterback position the last couple of years has just been so jumbled that you can't really tell how good the teams really are. Like sometimes when you have a, when you have a really bad quarterback, the team looks worse than it is, and then when you have a really good quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, he, he was he's like the perfect makeup, like he just covered everything up. But when somebody left it, they looked like they couldn't really do anything the minute he got hurt. So it was it's like kind of like it wasn't that complete team or that contending team that everybody thought the Packers was last year, but when Aaron Rodgers got hurt. But I think with Cleveland, like Cleveland, like Tyrod Taylor, you know, or, or Baker Manfield, but Tyrod Taylor might make the Cleveland Browns better than, you know, they might win six or seven games because, you know, they win those, instead of losing those close games, they win those close games. Well, there you go. There's two two leans from our our super contest champion. Jags under, Browns over. Look for, look out for those. Maybe going into the 2018 season. Damon, thank you for joining us. Best of luck in the contest this year. Hopefully, we're we're one and two uh, come January. Thank thank you, man. Best of luck to you guys. And I hope I hope you guys you know know what it's like to hold a big check. <laughs> <laughs>